Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. This episode of Tourpreneur is sponsored by Fair Harbor. Fair Harbor fuels the experiences of the travel industry with the most comprehensive online reservation system available for tours, activities, and attractions. Visit fairharbor.com to see why over 15,000 businesses worldwide trust Fair Harbor to better serve their customers and increase online bookings. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. And welcome to Tourpreneur, episode 146 to Don Littlefield of Maine Brews Cruise. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Shane. How are you today? I'm excited to talk to you. I have been wanting to talk to you ever since episode one of Tourpreneur, but I told myself I want to interview you in situ, having experienced one of your tours in Maine, because as I've said several times on the show, it's a little bit embarrassing that I've been to 34 states in the US, live in Vermont, and still haven't been across to Maine yet, right? So, and I keep hearing that Maine is the second best beer in the United States, obviously with Vermont being number one. So I wanted to put that to the test and have that conversation with you. You would hear it that way, <laughs> wouldn't you? For sure. Well, uh, Maine welcomes you whenever you are able to cross the Great Mountain Divide and come see what the vacation land's all about. Well, I'm having, uh, by the time this goes out, I will have had my first shot. I already booked uh, or bought a voucher with you a little while ago because I knew one of my first trips once it was safe to do so, was going to be across the Maine and to experience one of your tours. So uh, I am, joking aside, really excited to come to another state. And, uh, you know, the weird thing for me is I have this allergy to seafood and fish. So everyone's screaming at me to get on the lobster. <laughs> I can't eat it. <laughs> it's okay. Maine is filled with uh, great chefs that are exploring all kinds of different cuisines. We've seen an explosion of people coming up here in the culinary world because of quality of life for them and their families. So it's more than just seafood in Maine. There's everything you can enjoy. Brilliant stuff. I'm excited to do it. But we are here to talk about Maine Brews Cruise. I understand that you have taken 35,000 people to Maine's craft alcohol producers since your tours began. That's an impressive number. Yeah. And for that, we need to back up just a little bit. For the past nine years, our company has been known as the Maine Brew Bus in Portland, Maine. And during that stretch, yeah, I've done the math. It's 35,000 people. It was about 200 the first year, and it was about 7,000 at the peak of it. And the, the mission of our tour company is to connect uh, thirsty guests to Maine's craft beverage entrepreneurs. In a sense, it's agritourism. They get to go to the producers of an agricultural product, and they get to taste the finished product is right along with it. But 
you know, we'll dive more into that. But I would say the reason our name has just recently changed to Maine Brews Cruise is part of an alignment with a national brand that's been in operation now for 15 years. Uh, we actually acquired that brand in 2020. And now we have aligned our most well-known tour company in Portland, Maine to be part of that national operation. So we're excited to be known as Maine Brews Cruise going forward. Fantastic. Definitely want to get into that with you because I know there are a lot of people listening to the show who, myself included, before COVID hit, that was very keen to start up a brewery tour. And I, I was a little bit lost in terms of, even though I do this show and I speak to tourpreneurs around the world, it's like, okay, how do I go about building a brewery tour from scratch? So, you know, with your company, there is an opportunity to work with a national organization that will walk us through that. And I'd love to touch on that a little bit later on the show. What I wanted to ask you, we're going to get into your three key learnings that you want to share with other tourpreneurs. But I wanted to ask you, what has changed for you since COVID hit over a year ago? What I would say What we've noticed since COVID hit over a year ago is there is still a demand for travel, albeit much more filtered down. Maine is still a very desirable state because of uh, it's perceived as a rural state. And it's also one of those destinations that not everybody in the United States has been to. We feature a national park called Acadia National Park, one of the most visited in the country. All of the trappings of lobsters, of lighthouses, rocky coast pine trees, all available here in Maine. And we're just two hours north of Boston, six hours north of New York by car, and then an easy flight from around the country. So what we learned last year when we did resume our tours, which was in mid-July, is that we were seeing guests coming from all over the country. They were complying fully with any and all requirements that our state had for entry. And they were just eager to get out and enjoy a little bit of all of those aspects of Maine. And I could focus on the craft beverages, the beer, the wine, and spirits, and show them a good time while doing that. So I think the the lesson learned is that the customers are out there. You may feel that they're not going to come to you as a tour operator, but they're there. They're just not going to be in the numbers that you used to see. And you may have to work a little harder to find them, but they're there. And they're looking to have a good guided tour experience. So obviously, Maine Brew Bus, right, was getting a bus and travel around. And I, I'm guessing that you then, because you have bike tours now, don't you, and, and walking tours as well. Yeah, I, I would say the best way to explain that is we've always tried to have a diversity of offerings. We didn't know why we were doing that. In other words, we didn't know we were preparing for a world pandemic. But we've always had walking, biking, boating options in addition to our bus tours. Now, I'd be lying if I didn't say that our bus tours are always the most popular thing we ever offered. But last year, buses were parked, they remain parked, and the only thing we're doing are these open-air experiences, which are in alternate means. So it is important, I think, for any tourpreneur to realize is that what your core business might have been might be different now, but your core competencies are still there. What you're good at can still be done, and maybe it's just done in a different format. Okay, I want to get into your three learnings for tourpreneurs and tourpreneurs in waiting. So first of all, you said ABM, always be marketing, be known in some ways as the tour operator in every circle you travel in. Can you talk us through what you mean exactly by that, Don? Yeah, I subscribe to always be marketing. If this was a more visual aspect, you see I'm wearing a branded shirt right now. When I'm out in social settings, either personally or professionally, I'm wearing branded apparel. We became known very quickly in Portland as the tour guys. 
and the beer guys. And that's a good place to be in. So we used a local designer who created a brand for us that was, over time, pretty identifiable. We would always wear hats to certain, say, networking events, and we could easily be picked out of a crowd. So eventually, when somebody wanted to partner with us, they'd be like, oh, the guys with the hats are over there. The tour guys, you should talk to them. And that's how we developed networks that included hotels, lodging, uh, resorts, restaurants, other tour operators, and to try to build our brand. And then the other thing is I've sold so many tours just on my own by wearing the brand. Somebody sees it and they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Let me, can I ask you a few questions about that? And they don't always know that they're talking to the guy in charge. Sure. That's the, that's the beauty of it as well. So I firmly believe uh, always be marketing. And a quick aside, I think these days everybody is super concerned about digital marketing. What's the next thing we've got to do? We've got to ride the wave of some sort of internet change that's coming our way. But the grassroots, the old-fashioned, the face-to-face marketing, the kind that my father did when he was selling cookies in the 1960s, 70s, it's really important to have that sort of personal contact as well. So many of the things that I do in terms of trying to build my brand are very old-school techniques, handing out koozies, wearing hats, talking to people in person, and always carrying my rack cards with me so that I can give them out at a moment's notice. So you're still using rack cards? We are. Nobody's ever told me that they've booked a tour specifically because they got a rack card. Yeah. However, it's a lot like a business card. You know, we probably, if you, know, if you met any tourpreneur at a, a future conference, you could get them on LinkedIn quicker than you could input their business card. But what's the first thing we do? We still hand a physical card. And I think in the tour spectrum, the rack cards still serve a purpose. It may not be for the here and now, but we like to think that those rack cards go up on a bulletin board, a refrigerator, an office cubicle, a reminder somewhere that, yes, I do want to take that tour experience. So we think they play an important role that they're not completely passe yet. I agree with you because I think sometimes we're caught in this bubble. And I think when I worked for an OTA in hotels and I would travel around the world, I would spend a huge amount of time in hotel lobbies for meetings and whatnot, or even at the hotel I was staying at, I would always browse the rack cards. Oh, what's happening in this town? And it's amazing what I would learn. And I know we all want to think that everybody goes to an OTA to search for activities or that our website's going to show up as number one on Google. That's not always the case. But when people are in location and in that hotel lobby, maybe they're waiting for their spouse or, or whatever, they're going to look at those rack cards. I do think they work. I think another example of that is when you go to a new city, don't you pick up the free newspapers, the arts and entertainment newspapers that are there? Yeah. You could also Google a calendar of events to find out. But if you want to know what's happening at a club or musical venue, I pick up those free newspapers all the time. So that's another extension of the fact that uh, digital is part of the strategy, but it's not the exclusive strategy. You still need some physical paper and some physical contact in order to, to sell your tours effectively. Yeah. And then there's another layer on top of that, because I remember at certain locations, you know, I enjoy fishing and I would pick up a fishing tour and I would speak to the receptionist. Hey, what's this fishing tour like? And they were like, ah, get the other one or whatever. You'd get that local knowledge, you know, either because they're on a nice commission or they it's their uncle or, you know, whatever. You may get that local knowledge as well. And that's also the, I'm sure you guys do this, right? You must be talking to your local hotels about what you offer and what you do and building that relationship with the hotel. It's part of the overall strategy for any tourpreneur. You know, you can't just hang the shingling and expect people are going to find you and call you up and book a tour. 
it's a massive strategy that involves working with lodging partners. Yeah. That's a long play. So what I mean by that is you can build up a relationship with a general manager or a director of sales. You can invite them to come out on your tour. They could become your number one fan. They could tell all their guests. But you know what's going to happen a year or two from now? They're going to get promoted. They're going to move to a different city. They're going to go somewhere else or change jobs. You have to start over again. It pays dividends to do that long play. But sometimes you are doing it over and over again. Eventually, you become known in your market, I think, for the actual tours that you're delivering, because it also comes back when the guests at that lodging property say, hey, listen, we took the most amazing tour. It was a culinary tour in this particular neighborhood. It was amazing. You should tell more people about it. So partnering with the lodging, resorts, hotels, Airbnb hosts is all part of the strategy, because that's a great word of mouth referral for you and your tour operations. I do want to ask you about uh, digital as well. What digital marketing channels would you say are most successful for you? Yeah, for us, and I think we're a typical little bit of a unicorn out there, we've never done anything in the Google AdWords or pay-per-click realm. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if we could have become a much bigger company if we had, but it's a solution that's worked for us. What we try to do in the digital spectrum is to make sure that we have frequent and accurate social media posts. We're very active with responding to all of our reviews on uh, public review sites. We also are constantly trying to send out the messaging of what our tour offerings are through the method that everybody hears it should be. And what I mean by that is you develop a tour product, you've got it ready for sale. You just put it out there and put a link to it. No, you create a blog post about it. The blog post, which links, has visuals, has all kinds of information in that. You post that, you send that out. Yes, but you also take that same blog post and create a press release and send it out to your media, send it out to the local folks that are looking for good news. Honestly, these days, people are looking for good news and they're looking for success stories. And what seems like uh, your new tour offering in your town, that's not very newsworthy. Somebody's going to be like, this is amazing. Exactly what I was looking for today. So all of that goes into your tour product. Uh, It's a marketing machine or an engine, as I like to say. All of those things in place, then you've got social media posts, then you've got people out on tours, you've got the pictures that are taken, you are able to then share that with your audience after the tour. But instead of saying, oh, man, we had a great time last week, you take that imagery and say, we're looking forward to hosting you next week. Nice. We're looking forward for you to be here, creating that fear of missing out. So our digital strategies, honestly, are fairly focused on social media with uh, what I call, or what the industry calls social proof, to make sure if they do find out about you through a rack card, that they can see relevant information in social and public review sites. And then we do play a little bit in the programmatic display advertising or marketing realm in terms of trying to get in front of the traveler who's expressing intent to our community. And there are companies that do that. How do you mean exactly? The company specifically that we partner with is called Sojourn. So they're able to monitor signals from travelers who are expressing intent to come to our community. What I mean by that is, let's say, I'll take Portland out of it. Let's say I'm in Phoenix and a traveler's thinking of going to Phoenix. Well, the first thing they do is, well, how expensive is it to fly to Phoenix? Cool. That's one signal. It's not really the best one. But let's say there's a booking of a flight and now we're looking for hotels. Okay, those two signals tell Sojourn or any company specializing in this realm that this traveler is coming into this market. So now they've got enough to serve up ads that would be specific for that traveler at that place at the time that they're going to be there. 
this is the equivalent of you're looking for a pair of socks. You don't buy the socks, but the socks follow you around and all the websites you go to afterward. There's no reason that a tourpreneur couldn't play in that realm as well. And there are companies out there that will help you to, to figure that out. It's been fairly successful for us. And that would be you know, just one part of our overall digital strategy. Excellent. I know very little about Sojourn. I read about them in the industry press. And do you think it's worth having them on for a chat, Don? I do, very much so. And I'll tell you, not only everything I've told you is correct. They can deliver you actual sales. But if you think about it in terms of what's happened in the past year, their entire tour and attractions and activities department has been decimated. They're willing to work with people. They're trying to rebuild their business as well, but they have an ultimate interest in making sure that you are successful. They promise some return on an investment that is, uh, they're able to make that happen. So I would say it's something that entrepreneurs would be very interested in learning more about. I've seen it come up in our Facebook group, but I don't think most of us, or I haven't spoken to many entrepreneurs like you that have used them and can then share that experience. So definitely then an idea for a future episode. I love that you respond to public comments. That's something that I think is so important and even influences my own buying decision. I mean, if I look at the crap I've bought online in the last 12 months through Facebook ads, but the majority of those, I I actually read the comments, which I think are great because you get that feedback on the product and you get to see how a company responds. And if they're not responding, I'm not buying when I see them responding and helping out and sharing information or even having a quirky sense of humor, I, I enjoy those as well. I think, yeah, this is a real company. I'll, I'll give them a go as opposed to, you know, a hundred comments and no official responses from the vendor. I think a tourpreneur should think of it not as a necessary uh, task I have to do, but it's rather an opportunity to continue to sell your product, your tour, your experience. You're able to correct wrongs if they're there. You're able to say the truth. But hopefully, most of your public reviews are going to be of the positive sense, and you can continue to build on that. You know, if Sally said, I had a great time on that walking tour. Then you say, that's great, Sally. I'm so glad you had a walking tour. There's so much that went into putting that together. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hope that you recommend it to others. And by the way, we just increased the availability of that walking tour to seven days a week. So hope that you and your friends will come back soon. So what are you doing? You're selling that. So the person like you or any prospective guest reads through that and says, oh, wow, that's cool. It's even offered more now. It's so successful. More social proof. Very important. Absolutely. I also commend you on your apparel. So when I uh, bought the gift voucher, I upgraded, which also was a nice option to get the uh, apparel. And you'll be pleased to know I took my dogs out this morning here in the heart of Vermont and I walked for 45 minutes and despite it being Main Brewery, sorry, Main Brew Bus, I guess there'll be some new ones coming soon with the new logo and so forth. But, you know, no one shouted at me, no one punched me for wearing, you know, rival brew state hat, etc. But it's a top quality hat. The reason I bring it up is like, this isn't a crappy thing that's going to, you know, disappear in its first wash. You've spent good money on this apparel. Yeah, and just to translate for everybody else, apparel is apparel. Um, <laughs> talking soft, good merchandise here. <laughs> uh, we do. We spend good money on that. Not only is it representing our company and our beliefs of, of quality experiences, but it's also something that is saleable. So in different settings, you saw an example where a person that's booking a tour with us sees an opportunity to add on merchandise. Uh, this is frequently done, and it's really little effort in, on a entrepreneur's part to put that together. Think about if somebody books your rafting experience and it's going to be for a birthday party. Well, they're probably somebody's going to buy that gift pack for the birthday boy or girl. 
And so you can sell a merchandise with very little effort. And I don't know, like when you see apparel worn by people, it's a form of marketing and it's a form of, well, they think it's cool. So maybe I think it's cool too. So I think it's pretty important to have good quality merchandise for not only your staff to be easily recognizable while on a tour, but also to have available for sale to the general public, your fans and your rabid supporters that are out there. How did you go about sourcing a merchandise partner? Well, that's a never-ending quest, right? So it's not always lowest bidder. Yeah, It's yeah. not always what's the best sort of example. In the case of the hats, we work with a company that specifically works in the brewery spectrum. They're literally called brewery branding. Wow. They're kind of off limits if you don't have a connection to the beer industry. Yeah. Because that's their niche. But I'm sure that there are other companies out there that will be working, would work with anybody to make sure that the brand is more than just stamped onto a hat and, and sold. I think the other thing we do is we frequently look at changing the styles. The hats that I wear are not the hats that a lot of my guests want to wear. There's different styles out there, and we have to have different styles available. You know, we once sold uh, tank tops with our brand on it. It wouldn't catch me wearing that, but a lot of people bought those. They thought they were cool. So it's uh, sometimes working with people to design uh, products that are going to be effective, and then finding the partners uh, either locally or, or nationally that can help you to do that. I, I would always say try to work with your local screen print shop or embroidery shop. They'll tend to be a lot more flexible than some of the larger companies. They may not be the most inexpensive, but you'll probably get the work turned around a lot quicker too. Well, and you want it to be something that people will wear. So your hat, I would wear. It's top quality. It feels good. I know it's going to last. It's actually a bit too stylish for me, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that cool, but it makes me look cool. <laughs> Uh, well, that speaks to what I was saying earlier. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But it also, you know, speaks with your ABM or Aussie marketing because, you know, I took a picture to do a preview for our chat today. And then I also shared it on my personal Facebook page. So the, I don't know how many thousands of people are, are on there and, you know, they will see that hat. And I'm sure some are going, oh, you know, let me Google this, this company. So, you know, you are right. If it's something nice that people will wear, that will act as a marketing agent for you. If it's something that looks cheap and nasty, people aren't going to wear it. That's right. We're always trying to build several layers. So what's the, the touch point in marketing? It takes seven times on a commercial before you actually know what it's for. Well, if a guest or a visitor into my community comes in and they see that we've got rack cards at the hotel, they go to, next door to the restaurant, they see that we've got a little sticker on the door that says that my tour stops there. The bartenders, here's another uh, fun fact. We empower bartenders a lot to, uh, to help promote our tours. So not only do we bring them out on tours, complimentary, on their days off, but we also give certain bartenders promotional codes of 5%. It's just their first name. So it helps build a little bit of a rapport. What's the first thing you do when you get to a new community? Well, you might have a drink at the bar. So we work in that way to try to, to raise awareness. The point being is I want the traveler into my community to be like, man, I just keep seeing this company all the time. And eventually they'll see a bus go by and they'll be like, okay, we got to check into this. We got to look into it. Got a quick message from one of our sponsors and then we'll get right back to today's show. Stay tuned. Your search for the industry's best online reservation system is over. Fair Harbor enables thousands of tour and activity businesses across the globe with streamlined experiences that convert website visitors into paying customers to strategically increase online bookings and overall revenue. Their highly customizable cloud-based booking solutions are designed to be easy for you and your customers. Fair Harbor eases every aspect of your day-to-day -day operations through one easy-to-use dashboard. 
Options like custom seat maps and online seat selection can all be tailored to your unique needs, while capacity limits and contactless mobile ticket scanning help you maintain the latest safety protocols. All of this alongside Fair Harbor's best-in-class 24-7 support. Visit fairharbor.com to see why over 15,000 tour, activity, and attraction businesses choose Fair Harbor. And a big thank you to our sponsors today, Fair Harbor, without whom there would be no podcast. Without any of our generous sponsors, I couldn't do this. And Don, it, it's actually good timing. You are uh, customers of Fair Harbor, correct? In their early days in 2015 and uh, have been with them ever since. Great partners of ours. What made you pick them back in 2015? We were transitioning from a different software solution that just wasn't as uh, full-fledged as we needed or, or uh, functional, I would say. And when we found out about Fair Harbor and we evaluated them along with two other of their competitors of the day, neither mm. one of which are still around, by the way, Wow! it was hands down. Fair Harbor was the solution we needed. And we have yet to really find something that we need that they haven't already tackled somewhere in the world. It's, it's been great. Yeah. And when you went through that process of picking a booking platform, because I see this on the Facebook group a lot and Sometimes I kind of giggle to myself because it almost seems like it's like supporting a, a football team. It's like, you know, my booking software is best and everyone cheers for it. When you went through that process of picking a booking platform, how did you go about it? What we were really concerned about is the ease of use from the consumer's point of view. Something that was easy to negotiate. It wasn't going to create any obstructions or challenges to the booking process. And because, you know, the modern era of uh, software solutions is to generate revenue off of the actual bookings, really, Fair Harbor and most of the others are there for you. They want you to succeed with the booking. That was a new technology or new thought process, I guess, in 2015. It really has made a big difference from the consumer's point of view. I asked them all the time. I asked guests yesterday, did you have any issue with booking? They're like, no, it was incredibly easy. And that's fantastic for us. Absolutely. Did they build your website as well? They did. And because we were such an early adopter of theirs, they came to us with the offer originally. Their website build team was fairly new. And so they built that website. They now handle all of our Bruise Cruise sites. And we're doing even more business with them with some other projects we have planned for the future. Marvelous. And whilst we're kind of on the topic of booking software, what's your company's view on the OTAs? Well, I would say that we encourage our uh, licensees and our own location partners with Get Your Guide, with Viator, and with Expedia. Of those three, uh, Viator has been the best partner as far as generating bookings for us. That remains to be seen if that will still be true going forward with some of the changes they've made in their strategies. But you know, it's never been the majority of what we do. It's, it's always been a, quite a small minority of what we do. I'd say probably 5% or less of our bookings are generated through OTAs. But I always look at it this way. I can't afford to market my tours in Wales. I can't afford to market them in Germany in German language. And that's what the OTAs will do. And they'll get the travelers, not just in Europe, but they'll get travelers from outside your market to see your product and ultimately to book your tour, your experience. That's great. So if you think of it as a marketing arm, rather than relying on it for all the sales, that's the way we look at it. I love that. Having worked on that side of the counter, as it were, that was something I saw 
working for Get Your Guide, for instance, was the sheer amount of international. Because, of course, and this isn't a commercial for them, but they translate it. It's in the native language. And I was chatting to some friends of mine last week, actually, and they visited Maine. They're back in the UK. They visited Maine a couple of years ago because they saw that I posted, uh, you know, the Maine brew hat and they talked about it. And they had used an OTA to book some experiences. Chances are they might not have found your site or by the time they get into Portland, they've already booked everything because they're coming from international, so they're a bit more organized and you've missed out. So I really endorse that strategy of capturing the international bookings. For us, it's definitely important. And that's social proof for people to see that you're a valid business because you're licensed or not licensed, you're offered through an OTA. It really helps add to the validity of the product that you're offering. Sure. Let's get on to your second bit of advice that you want to share with our listeners. So you wrote plan every tour so that your very happy guests will become your evangelists. Word of mouth is free. Mm. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, notice I use the word guests and not customers. I am always looking for them to have such an exceptional experience that they'll go out and toot my horn for me. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Just this past weekend, we had a small group tour uh, within the limits that our state currently is allowing. So we had six guests out on a tour, and I asked the lead booker, how did you find out about us? We do this all the time. She says, well, my coworker, Stephanie, was on your tour six years ago, and she couldn't say enough good things about it. Now, six years ago, it was a bus-based tour. It was a different format. It was not in the current era, but yet that's how I got that booking was word of mouth from six years ago. Yeah. So. If you design every tour so your guests are going to have an unbelievable experience, they're going to be, they didn't expect the time that they had, they're going to go out there and they're going to tell so many more people. And somewhere, somebody's going to listen to that and remember, and they'll book that tour when they come to your town. So that's the way I look at it. You know, the word of mouth advertising from friends, family, colleagues is free. You have to earn it. And you have to make sure that you're planning for that from the very get-go, from your website to the booking experience, to the greeting of the guests, to the actual execution of the tour, and making sure that they're thinking about you as they walk away from you. It's very important. It is so important because unlike a hotel, say a Hilton or a Marriott that has a well-known brand, they're all around the world. You can say, oh, I stayed in the Marriott, downtown New York, whatever it is, but you know, you are a regional, okay, you have the Bruce Cruise National, but a regional operator. So to have someone being your advocate is huge. And it's, I'm smiling here because I've done the same thing. There's a company in Scotland called Rabbi's Tours, multi-day, and I went on that five or six day tour to the Highlands and Islands in 2013. I never stopped talking about it. And I know, I can tell you now, I know at least three friends who've booked with Rabbi's because as soon as they say we're going to Scotland, I'm like, right, get on Rabbi's website. Don't try and do this yourself. Let them do it for you. You'll have the best time, best guides, funniest stories. I'm an evangelist for rabbis. That's not a cheap tour, right? Not at all. And that's, I've made a note for my uh, future trip to Scotland. I, I've done the same thing. You know, as a tour operator, I love taking tours. I yeah. can't help it. I go to places. So uh, true Bahamian food tours in uh, Nassau in the Bahamas. I uh, took a tour there uh, a number of years ago with my now wife. We loved it. We tell people about it. I was at a rival and I sat next to a representative from that company. I said, oh, I had the best time with Murray, the guy. She goes, oh, Murray is now our director of operations. Wow. He's handling all of these things. And they're a, they're a bigger company, not because of me, but because of the incredible experience that they give their guests. So I think that's the way any tour operator should think about it. You know, you have one 
that customer in front of you, that guest, you want to win all of their friends and all of their spheres of influence as well. It can be done. I think that opens up another topic that we don't really have time for today, but maybe on a future panel is therefore the importance of email marketing and keeping in touch because you're talking Bahamas. I was lucky enough to go there January 2020, just before the brand stuff hit the fan. And I went on a a fun tour in NASA, but I can't remember the company. I mean, I booked it Ah. through the cruise line, right? But I still, I couldn't tell you now, if you said, what was that tour? I'd have to go online and look it up because I've never had a single email from them or, you know, I'm not following them on social media. And why is that, you know? Yeah. And the company I just referenced, I got a recipe for conch fritters not that long ago. Yeah. So, you know, they're staying in touch with me. But that's something very useful, isn't it? That you're getting. It's not just, hey, you know, book our stuff or whatever. Or even I think getting an email from a tour you've been on and say, look, this is what's happened in 2020. We're still around. We're surviving, etc." And it's nice to know because we form a bond with the tour guide and the company when we're on holiday. If it's a good experience, as you say. As you say, it's a huge topic, but we can briefly say that, you know, collecting your customers' email addresses and staying in contact with them, yes, a percentage will never come back to your town. A percentage will immediately hit unsubscribe. But the ones that are going to be there, that have been your customers, that you've given a great experience to, will keep up to date with what you're doing, will recommend to others, or perhaps return themselves. I think so many tour operators assume that it's one and done. They're not going to get a repeat guest. But if you have a diverse offering of products, then uh, hopefully you will win them back again to try something else from your company. Yeah, I think you're right. And also what I love, if I was to get an email now from that company in NASA, I would smile because it brings back that memory of a fantastic time that I had. I'd never been to the Caribbean before. I'd never been to the Bahamas and I would just put a smile on my face thinking back to, oh yeah, I, was, I remember that rum distillery. That was a good hour. You know, whatever. It's not yeah. like someone's telling me to buy insurance or something boring, right? In an email, it's like brings back a memory for me. I actually never hit unsubscribe on those follow-up emails, even years down the path, because it does bring a smile to my face. And I remember the experience that I had. So in a peak period for you, how many tour guides do you have working for you? Normally we would have 50 or so. We're uh, going to be at about half that this particular year. Uh, we have some people that are just dedicated drivers, some people that are just dedicated guides, but we prefer to have people cross-trained You know, as a beer-focused tour. We had one great experience where we had a person who was in the brewing industry, professional brewer, a certified Cicerone, but was new to our area and was looking for a job you know, in the industry. So he actually applied to us. Uh, we trained him as a driver. So here is this most experienced person driving the bus. And I wow. guess found out that that person was a professional brewer and a certified sister. I was like, the review said, oh my goodness, this company is so great because the person not leading the tour was this experienced and this has these credentials. So yeah, normally we have wide variety of different backgrounds. Usually it's a part-time job for most people. And they just love to be able to get paid to talk about uh, craft alcohol. So how do you maintain that high level of guest satisfaction if you've got 15 tour guides at your peak you're obviously an evangelist you obviously love what you do but how do you then make sure that your guides have that high level of guest satisfaction and delivering it's a great challenge right especially if you're a single a solo tourpreneur and you're used to doing it all yourself and now you need to hire staff they're not going to be you right so there's this fear that oh my experience is going to be watered down because it's a, a different person giving that tour that activity And the reality is you want your staff to shine. You want them to be themselves. You want them to 
give their own flair and flavor. We work with no scripts. I give outlines of material. I give a lot of freedom and flexibility for how they conduct the tour. And we have a process of training and evaluation and providing feedback to improve the tour experience from the guide's perspective. It's a constant challenge. And as you get wider in terms of your staff and you have more diverse offerings, you actually have to work harder at that to make sure that the high level that you have set the bar at is maintained by everybody in your organization. Brilliant. That's uh, good words of advice from you there. In terms of your tours, so you want to make sure that the guest experience is, is phenomenal. And you have, just looking very quickly at your website here, Walk, Talk and Taste, Bike and Brews, Lobster Brews Cruise, Sunset Brews Cruise, Sales and Ales, Sales and Spirits, Waves and Wines, a lot of cracking tours here. But at what point as a business did you decide, okay, we can expand, we can offer more here rather than focusing, say, on, on your bus tour previously? At what point did you say, yeah, we can pull this off? That's a good question. And it actually does relate back to the buses because once we started to get capacity on our first vehicle, we had to add a second. Once we had uh, reached capacity on two, we had to get a third. But we really couldn't justify getting a fourth, fifth, and sixth in our particular market. So we had to find a way to kind of restructure our tours to use that equipment a little bit more efficiently to do back-to-back and sometimes three-in-a-row tours using the same vehicle. So now we've got everybody happy in the vehicles. They're going out and doing tours, but not everybody wants to sit on a bus. And we happen to live in a, uh, you know, a beautiful place that has a lot of outside offering. So we started several years ago by adding different sort of experiences that would change the flavor of what we're doing with different modes of transportation. So uh, we started partnering with other tour operators that provide uh, boat tours, boat services, both charter and public tours. We partnered with another uh, local bike rental and bike tour company to produce the bicycle-based tours. We offer a running tour, which you might be into now uh, with your exercise regimen. It's never been very popular to run to breweries, for sure. But we just tried to diversify the different offerings because we were literally at capacity with our vehicles. And that strategy did pay off because with what's been happening in the past year, we had a wide variety of offerings that I just simply called them open air. So instead of being in a bus, buses are parked, we had open air experiences where you could be out in the open and enjoy a new way to experience Maine's craft alcohol industry. So yeah, it's been a process to get to that, but I would encourage anybody in the tour business to think about your competitors as allies, that there's a way you could work together. You're often trying to compete for the same customer, the same guest. Why not partner with them so that that guest has a bundled package or an offering that times perfectly with another offering? And I think that's really a strategy that's worked well for us and it's paying off now. Brilliant. Was there any ever a time where you launched a tour that wasn't successful for you and you dropped it? Sure. Yeah, that happens all the time. We're pretty famous for trying anything to see if it will work. So I'll give you an example that didn't work and then I'll give you one that worked well beyond our wildest dreams. We had a concept which was called Hike and Brews, I think is what it was. So you'd go, the bus would bring you out to a place, you'd go on a fairly gentle hike, you'd come back to the bus, and the bus would bring you to a brewery. It never took off. And you'd think it would, but sometimes people don't want to be on that schedule. It's a longer time period. They don't want to have that schedule. So that didn't work, and it quietly went away. Here's one that did work. I got a call from a guy who owns a bird supply store, so a place that serves customers so with bird feed and bird seed and feeders and so forth. He says, hey, I saw your bus at a brewery and I have this idea. 
what if we do a bird watching tour that then goes to a couple of breweries? And after I stopped laughing, because it sounded ridiculous to me, I said, sure, let's try it. You know, it's a one-off. It'll be great. So fast forward, it's six years later, we have done about three dozen of those. They ended up becoming so popular, we offered 10 a year. And what we found out was that bird watchers didn't mind the long bus ride. They loved that fact that they could be on a bus for an hour and a half to get to a place they've never bird watched before. And by the way, there's beer afterwards. So people that were casual bird watchers loved the beer and people that were casual beer drinkers loved the birding. So it really worked well. And sometimes you just never know. You get to try some things to see if they'll work. And if they don't work, it's okay. If they do work, you'll be surprised. That's phenomenal because you just wouldn't think you write that down on a piece of paper. You'd expect someone to laugh. You've just got to try things, haven't you? Yeah. Another one that has worked is uh, curling. So people want to learn to curl. Right. You're familiar with curling and Americans get familiar when the Winter Olympics come on. And you look at those outfits and you look at those guys and gals and you're like, I could do that. I can push, slide and sweep. So everybody uh, harbors this fascination with curling. So we turned it into a learn to curl experience, partnering with a curling club. And they get out on the ice and they go through the whole thing. They do a game, a match for their stones, if you will. And then they get on our bus and then we go and celebrate their newfound athletic prowess with some beer. So, yeah, there's fun things that you can do partnering with other organizations for sure. So did you ever go yourself, Dawn, at curling? What do you think? I have, and I'm not very good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Looks hard work to me, all that brushing. Hurry hard, right? (laughs) that's right by the way you're on ice that's slippery (laughs) (laughs) even with the special shoes yeah yeah but that's fun and actually we've marched on into your third major takeaway for listeners which is try some off the wall ideas so i guess the bird watching and i'm pretty sure i've come across a podcast which is bird watching and beers you know so it maybe not be as off the wall as we think it is they go hand in hand and you know our favorite story about what's called uh, birds on tap road trip It's the only time that we've been featured by the Associated Press writer, found out about our tours. He popped on a tour. He wrote a great article about it. Happened to land right in that Thanksgiving week, which in the news business is a traditionally very slow period of time. So the day or two after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden, this AP story went on the wire internationally. And I got a message from a local restaurant owner who was on the beach in Aruba And we were front page news with our birds on tap road trip. Wow. Thanks to the Associated Press. You never know. Sometimes those things do take off and they'll market your, it's the only time we've ever been really highlighted by a press organization in that way. But it was great. But you guys are very good. I'm sure this is a recent development with press releases because I know I got one from you right away about your rebrand that was in my inbox. Is that something you've learned as you've gone along or did you go hire an agency? How did that work? No, I am the agency for that. (laughs) What I would say is that when you have news about your company or you have a new product offering or you have a partnership with another tour operator, celebrate it. Celebrate it with blogging about it, social media posts, but send a press release, even if you just do it to your local media organizations. It will sometimes get filed away. It sometimes will be run as a story and sometimes it will help connect you to a media representative for a future opportunity. So You know, I send a handful of press releases every year. I try to make them count. I try to make them newsworthy, not just blatherer, but uh, actually make them newsworthy. And they do pay off. So in that regard, it's earned media, right? You need to work for that. You need to kind of build up that reputation. And it's worth the effort. 
certainly if you're not skilled at creating a press release, work with somebody who is. There are a lot of freelancers out there. There are a lot of people that you can work with to make sure that that your message is getting out there in the right format. But it's not as scary as it sounds to put together some news about your business and send it out to people that are looking for good news, especially right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would add to that. For those of you who want to write a press release, make it as easy as you can for the journalist so they don't have to do too much work or digging around or research. So your press release, i give you a big compliment here. I mean, I pretty much republished it as it was because you'd written it in such a way that it read well. And I know there are some out there that say, oh, media companies shouldn't republish. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have hours to sit here. and I'm not a freelance journalist. I don't have hours to craft. Yeah, we're doing this interview now. This is my thing. Writing a huge profile isn't. But if you think about a busy newsroom, they don't always have a lot of time to write a story. So the, the easier you make it for the journalist, the better. So the way that you wrote yours was fantastic. And and I see this, I get a lot of press releases sent to me and some of them you just scratch your head and think, what? <laughs> so <laughs> Well, thank you, Shane. That means a lot. And, you know, I do try to provide the content that will help to get the story out there. And then also links to the relevant material that I don't expect the links to be published, but they're there for the journalist to yeah. actually review and to gather more information. And in the case of this recent uh, rebranding, I had the logo. The logo was embedded right in yes. the press release so that it wasn't, you didn't have to find it or try to copy and paste it. It was right there for the journalist. So thanks. That's a big compliment from you. Well, and I saw a ton of traffic to the story I published. And that was because of the logo. The logo looked cool. It really popped on that page. And people were curious because they know you from many of the events you've spoken at. And I think having that image on the page, you're like, oh, wow, that's a really... And it is a cool image. You know, I love your hand grabbing the beer by the lighthouse. Mitch reckons you're in the lighthouse, by the way. Yeah, he's right. He's right. It just takes a very, very precise look at that lighthouse. I'm in there with a the beer. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say is when you produce a press release... Put it up on your website as well, because there are people like me that curate a daily brief and I get a lot of press releases sent to me. And if it's not on the website, then I have to create a blog post. And like I say, it's all work. So you're putting barriers in front of people. Whereas if you actually have a section, media, post it up as a blog post, I link straight to it. And, you know, that's 2000 tour professionals right there and journalists, by the way, who, who read the Daily Brief. And then you never know where that can go as well. So uh, maybe we should maybe I should do another episode on press releases because I think you know, we can all learn about and profit from. Any other off-the-wall ideas you want to share with us? Well, you know, I think, and I've mentioned it already, but I think considering working with your competitors, so the people that are out there that you would, you know, you either emulating your tour company after them or you're aware that they're there. They may not be direct competitors. They could be mm -hmm. indirect competitors. But as we're all trying to rebuild our tourism-based businesses, everybody's looking for an extra helping hand. So I would say that you know it may seem foreign to try to reach out to the person who's doing a very similar thing to you. But if you work together, you both could benefit. That's a message that I've been telling our folks in the Bruise Cruise network that you know reach out. Uh, one example is... As a vehicle-based tour operator, if you have a group that is a little bit larger than your vehicle, don't just say, sorry, I can't accommodate you. Why don't you reach out to a trolley company or reach out to another tour provider that has larger vehicles and see if you can work out a, a deal for that. They will also refer you business if they get to know you a little bit better. So it's something that we can all work on. We can always work to build that network a little bit uh, stronger. And just remember, you're all competing for the same guest. You're all trying to give an experience for your community 
why not work together to make that happen? You know, I was saying something similar, uh, not in terms of packaging together, but I was at the uh, speaking at the Arrival Content Masterclass, and I said one of the key things that I see operators doing well on social is where they're not always saying, book our stuff, book our stuff, but saying, hey, if you come to Portland and you like burgers, you know, this is our favorite burger, you know, put a spotlight on other businesses as well, because it's a service to people who are following you. So I know, I mean, I love beer, but I'm not going to be on it for three days. I want, I'm going to have to do other things, right? So I'll check that burger place out or whatever it may be. I think throwing, and then that company's, oh, wow, they've mentioned us, you know, we'll mention them, or you never know, someone's drinking at that bar. So you wish you should go on that brewery tour with Don. I really do feel it's reciprocal. The beautiful thing about our industry, you know, when you look at the hotel industry, I mean, that is so competitive because you're going somewhere for five nights you're staying at that same hotel you're not changing hotels but in terms of things to do we should all be working closer together yeah there's one tool that we use that actually helped with that and it was empowering our staff to write up what they would do if they had three days in this town so we found that most of our guests were coming here friday saturday and sunday or for some three-day period of time so i had a number of our staff put together his what i would do with my three days in portland all with links to the different businesses. They were put out there as blog posts. It was done as a series. So, you know, in a couple of weeks, the next one will come out. They all have to be updated now, but yes. I think that's a good way to empower your staff to help set the table, right, for other places that would want to see the guests coming to your community. So just want to change gears here a little bit. We've talked about this in the past, Don. Before COVID hit, I was exploring a brewery idea, brewery tour myself here in Vermont. The state of play right now is we have one brewery tour in Burlington, the main city. I think they also go out to Stowe. I'm south of that, and I'm very proud of our rural breweries. I actually think they're better than the Burlington breweries, personally. So I wanted to look at a tour to get people who may have done the Burlington tour and say, hey, now go further afield, see the real Vermont, right? To do that, but also to do something for our local economy, we are suffering, as most of rural America is. And COVID hit, so I obviously said, right, okay, we'll put that idea down. Now, looking at Bruce Cruz and what you're doing, why should I consider working with someone like yourself rather than I'll go and do it on my own? Bruce Cruz was started by a husband and wife that loved beer, and they started a tour operation in Asheville, North Carolina, well before it was even you know, Beer City, USA. It has now grown to be you know, a much larger enterprise. And when myself and my partners acquired Bruce Cruz last year, we brought three new people into that organization that have literally a worldview. One of our partners operates the largest tour and activities company in Australia. And so from his perspective, from my perspective, and then the third partner is Zach Poole, who's actually the founder of the main brew bus. We're able to give a a much broader perspective on not just running a beer tour, but literally running a tourism business and working on just another level. The licensees in our company had never heard of Arrival. They had never heard of Torpreneur. They had never heard of these things, and they thought they were out there alone. Well, the reality is this is a bigger industry than they knew, and so trying to shed light on that has been a big, exciting part for me. As far as you know, people that would want to partner with Bruce Cruz, I think what it is is we have already a lot of the systems in place. We have a lot of the documentation in place. We know how to provide a great tour experience. Before you can even get to that, you have to have talked with your partner uh, facilities, the breweries, wineries, distilleries, or the craft alcohol industries that you have. 
That's not an easy thing. You have to pitch to them. You have to tell them why they want to allow you to come in at a specific time with a dedicated staff person and pay a reduced rate. So it takes a little finesse to explain that out, that it is a business proposition. It's an extension of marketing. We're going to bring you thirsty guests through your front door, and they're going to leave wearing your brand, drinking your product, and talking about it when they get back home. So those are all things that we've done. We have proven, we have shown literal ROI to uh, brewery partners. And that's something that we're very pleased with that we can lend to any operator that chooses to, to partner with us. So yes, can you go out there, buy a van and start doing brewery tours? Yes, you could do that, Shane. But if you are looking for a way to do it that is actually going to be a mutually beneficial partnership, working with an experienced company such as ours is what we offer. Sounds like a no-brainer to me, if I'm honest. If I was to do this tomorrow, I'd be calling you saying, all right, Don, let's chat. I guess the one thing that worries me a little bit is, you know, recently in the news, we saw Intrepid and Urban Adventures, which is a, you know, franchise model, and they've pretty much dumped all of their franchises around the world, and now they're competing with them, and they're launching their own tours. So my worry would be, and I'm just hypothetically saying... That makes me a little gun shy now when I see things like that and think, oh, what if that was me and my brewery tour and they've shut me down, but they're now going to start their own next, <laughs> you know? Well, the benefit of our organization is that it's not a franchise. It's a licensing model. So right. you're licensing the brand and the imaging and you're licensing the documentation. You're licensing the systems we've built, for lack of a better term. And we only make money if you make money. Does this mm. sound familiar? You know, it's a royalty program based on the amount of tours that you sell in a given period of time. So if you sell no tours, then our organization makes no money. But if we can help promote your tour and help sell more tours that are going to exceed guests' expectations and are going to generate that word of mouth, then ultimately our company will make money. So we're not in the business of trying to fire our licensees and compete against them. Rather, we're trying to strengthen the whole industry of craft beverage tourism with a stronger network across the country. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because when I looked at this, I was pretty confident I could design a fantastic tour experience having firsthand knowledge of most of the breweries around here. But the struggle for me is, okay, do I rent? Do I lease a bus? Do I buy a bus? How do I deal with drivers? What's the insurance? What's local employment law? All of the not fun stuff to work on. The tour designs the fun stuff, right? And then looking at margins and profits and investment and everything else. And this is why we have the Tourpreneur podcast to share this because you're doing this for the Brewery Tour Vertical, which is fantastic. Love it. Mitch is doing his tour design courses and tour director courses at Trip School. Love that. I love that that education is out there because going it alone is scary. Oh, it's terrifying, right? The example of being a beer lover and you want to showcase your town is usually how most people started off. But if you're doing it that way, it's just going to be a hobby. It's going to be a sidelight. You know, yeah. we're trying to move people from the hobby phase to, you know, this is my actual passion and this is what I'm doing all the time. And we have been successful in doing that uh, for sure. But it takes effort. And what we can lend as an organization is a lot of experience. And we've already solved a lot of those problems along the way. Mm -hmm. Insurance is one we haven't solved, and that's been a tough one uh, because that varies greatly state to state. Yeah, But we're working on that. We're working on with some insurance companies to leverage the power of all of the locations we have around the state, around the country rather, and try to get better insurance rates. But yeah, it's absolutely terrifying to think about going that on your own, and that is why we have the options we do. 
What's roughly the kind of costs I'd be looking at? Let's say I wanted to do this in Vermont. What would I be looking at dollar-wise to get involved with you? Yeah, the overall licensing of uh, the concept for a five-year term is uh, $7,500 that's paid in installments. We recommend that you have you know, more than that for sure for operating capital, but you don't have to go out and get a brand new bus. You don't have to you know, get all the fanciest hats and t-shirts. You can start fairly grassroots and build the business as you go along. Again, you're just trying to take the entire brand and realize that a craft beverage lover is also a person who likes to travel. They like to go to different communities. And uh, why not have an experience in multiple communities around the country where it's giving the same flavor of experience in different uh, flavors of your glass? And who doesn't want to eat something after a couple of pints of double IPA as well, right? So there's the food component. (laughs) Exactly. Work with restaurants and work with food providers is a key part. There's more to life than pretzels, that's for sure. (laughs) Very, very true. Okay. So if someone is listening to the show today and they want to talk to you about the licensing, what's the best website for them to go to, Don? Yep. That would be bruisecruise.com. And there's a section there called Join Our Family. Brilliant. And there's an inquiry form that will actually get right to uh, myself. And we'll be back in touch with you. You'll actually be the founder of Bruce Cruz himself is the one who's uh, stayed on to help grow our network and grow our licensees around the country. Brilliant stuff. question I always have for brewery tours is, how do you protect yourself from having rowdy guests, people who've had a bit too much? Is that, or even, even is that a thing? I mean, I've never seen it. Most brewery tours I've been on, I've never seen anybody get smashed. <laughs> well, they're not designed like that, you know. It's the first objection we have when talking to brewery owners is start off by saying we are not a party bus. We are not going to bring you the newly 21 crowd. What we are is a tour company that has a little bit higher price point. It is gaining the customer who is perhaps not necessarily the type of customer that would be drinking 18 IPAs in a session. We also are curating the flights so that they're getting a variety of different tastes, not just the high alcohol ones, but sometimes the no alcohol and low alcohol ones as well. I would say the public image is that we have a bunch of crazy drunk people on board our tours. The reality is we have a lot of uh, people who are dipping their toe into this craft beer market and uh, learning a little bit along the way. And they're typically just a little bit more constrained than you'd think they would be. Most of us are unable to achieve success without some help along the way. Is there a particular person who helped you to get where you are? Anyone you want to give a shout out to? You're not just pandering to me to say you, right? No, 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 no. Good, 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 no. <laughs> like someone who's mentored you or advised you maybe back in the early days. Is there anyone out there that? I would say for our company, image has been a big part of our success. And, you know, the very first logo was designed by our founder's uh, college roommate. I think a lot of people start with that sort of connection. But uh, very quickly, to get a more professional logo, we hired a graphic designer locally who created our colors and our pattern and our font and all of that. And honestly, you know, that was an unexpected gift from that imagery. We were creating a bright green company. The buses became the logo. The buses themselves became bright green and everything changed for us uh, from that moment on. You know, you never know where that inspiration is going to come from. In in this case, it came from our graphic designer. His name is Scott Whitehouse, and he helped define our entire company by just changing our brand imagery. 
Brilliant. Are there any books, podcasts, or apps that are indispensable to you? I should be better at podcasts. I'm not. I just listened to one. It's Torpreneur. But as far as books, I would say I really have spent a lot of time in my career reading marketing and business books of different types and different varieties. It's helped me to you know, form what I think is a successful way to create and to promote and to execute what we do. And you know, as I've mentioned, some of that is newfangled digital technology and some of it is old-fashioned, just networking and getting in front of people while you're talking about your company. So as far as specifics, I don't have that for you, but it's always great for the experiences that I've had to meet other tour operators, to learn from them, to participate in conversations virtually or in in person, to just learn from them and to try to help wherever I can. I try to give a lot of information and uh, hopefully it helps people along the way. No, you do. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you on the show is I've seen you at various events online, in particular of the last year, sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier on about being friends with competitors and working with competitors. And you give a lot of knowledge away. You give a lot of wisdom away. And that's what I see in this industry that most of us are very happy. I mean, I wouldn't have a show if people didn't want to come on and sometimes share a secret source. But that's because you know there's a beer tour maybe back in Wales Who's someone's going to listen to you today and go, that's what I want to do with my life. And I've just listened to Don. I'm going to email him and reach out. But yeah, this is what I want to do. And that's a large part of why Torpreneur was born is to help people who are like, I'm scared to go it alone. My mates don't understand. My family don't understand. But I can listen to the show and I can connect with people via the community. Same with Arrival. Go to an Arrival event, meet people, talk to people and come back and decide if it's for you. But building that, that network is so important. Yeah, and I think the folks at Arrival have explained it very well to us. This wasn't a recognized industry until just a handful of years ago. There weren't resources such as yourself and what your efforts are doing to help people to navigate, you know, the journey to becoming a successful tour operator. It is a passion for all of us involved. It is something that we are very involved in and want to make sure that it is done right. It takes a lot of different resources to make that happen, but it's all fairly new to be recognized as tours and activities and attractions as a big part of the overall uh, tourism network. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, I've saved the toughest question to the end, to the finish here. Are you ready for this, Don? Okay, I'm ready. We're parachuting you into a desert island. You've got to stay there for you know a certain amount of time. You're only allowed to take three beers with you. What are you taking? First one's a no-brainer, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. That beer has meant so much to the industry. It has kind of defined, I think, pale ales, uh, certainly in the West Coast style. It's only, uh, I think it's 5%. It's a very low alcohol beer. I had an experience in Ireland. I met a brewery owner in Ireland. I said, how'd you get involved in this? He goes, well, I actually was working for a pharmaceutical company. They sent me to work in Australia. In Australia, I had a beer that changed my life. So what was it? Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. (laughs) So that's definitely the first one that I would bring. The second one I would bring is probably a hometown favorite. It's Allagash White, a uh, Belgian wit beer at about 5.2%. It is kind of the gold standard in this country for that style. Uh, Multiple uh, award winner at the Great American Beer Festival, including last year winning gold. It is uh, 80% of their business comes from Allagash White. 
which means there's 20% left for the rest of us. They yeah. have so many great things out there that are emulating classic styles from Europe as well as uh, forging some new paths on their own. So I'd be happy with Allagash White. It pairs perfectly with a lot of different foods. And, you know, I think it's something I definitely want to have on my desert island. So let's see. I picked two 5% beers. So I guess I'd have to go with, uh, let's go with a 90-minute IPA from Dogfish Head in Milton, Delaware. Their origin story of their name, it's actually derived from a point of land in Maine. And Sam Calagione and his family have had property just outside of Booth Bay Harbor for a number of years. When he decided he was going to start a brewery, he was talking to his father. His father was like, well, what are you going to name it? He goes, well, I kind of like the name Dogfish Head. And that's how that name actually originated. And their recipes for 60-minute, 90-minute, and 120-minute actually work out perfectly to be 6%, 9%, and 12%. I think the 12% is a little bit too much for that deserted island, but probably the 9% would be just fine. So I'll bring Dogfish Head 90-minute IPA. Fantastic choices. I've added those. I've had two of the three, so I'm going to have to try one of these. But now I'm really thirsty. It's 11.17 a.m. I know I've got a couple of cold ones in the fridge from, uh, I think it's Upper Pass Brewery in Vermont. I've got a few of them. So I might have to have a a nice uh, lunch after we're done here. But I'm really, I have to say, Don, I'm really excited to come across to Maine and see you. Uh, I've had my first shot by the time this one episode goes up. Hopefully I would have had my second one. Yes, I would have done. So uh, almost ready to to come over. What's the scene like in Portland right now? Are things open or is it still... Yeah, it's excitingly open. A lot of people have made their way to Maine that had never been here before. And I mean that in a good way. Maine is seen as a safe state to travel to. It's also fairly rural, featuring a national park, a rugged coastline, and lots of open space. Portland is the trendy town in our state, and uh, people are coming here for sure. Uh, We have had tours now for six weeks. We've seen just shy of 70 guests that have represented over a dozen states in our country, plus the District of Columbia. Don't want to leave them out. No. So the scene is vibrant. Places are mostly outside. There's a lot of excitement about the, the season to come. Diners are out onto the outside patios. Some of the streets have been closed off to help permit that as well. And the weather has been fantastic to start with the, this season. So yeah, Portland is a pretty exciting place right now. And we hope that everybody stays safe and that they're able to continue to enjoy what Maine has to offer. Fantastic. Well, my birthday is in June. So I'm looking at coming over towards the end of June to celebrate that. And you and I will have a great time. I'll show you all the hidden spots we have around around our city. Fantastic. Don, where can people book your tours online? Yeah, all of our tours are available uh, through bruisecruise.com. For our main specific uh, locations, we're transitioning the website, but it's also available at bruisecruise.com slash main. Fantastic. And you can find all the links, resources, and websites we've mentioned on today's episode at tourpreneur.com forward slash one. Four, six. Cheers, Don. Cheers, Shane. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.